welcome back to the second episode of Ohio Right to Life's Pro-Life Podcast. My name is Lizzie Marbach, and I'm the Director of Communications for Ohio Right to Life. Today, we have an amazing guest. His name is Samuel Green. He is the founder of Reason for Life, which is an organization that's dedicated to bringing the biblical case for life to churches and Christian colleges and schools across the country. But before we get into that interview, I do just want to let you guys know that we just released three new videos, and those videos explain issue one, which is a ballot initiative that will be on the ballot here in Ohio on August 8th. Uh, issue one directly affects the fight for life. It will protect our constitution against the abortion lobby. So I please implore all of you to go check out the new videos and make sure that you vote yes on issue one, August 8th. If you guys have any questions about how to get registered to vote or where you can vote, uh, by all means, please be sure to message us. I would love to help you guys out with that. Or you can go to our website. It's Ohio Life dot org slash yes on one and it has all of the information there so without further ado let's go ahead and get into the interview figured since our last episode was with samuel say then the next episode has to be with the next pro-life samuel so we have samuel green uh joining us and he is a pro-life attorney and founder of reason for life reason for life is a organization that's dedicated to bringing the biblical case for life to churches and Christian uh, colleges and schools across the country. So we are very excited to have you on, Samuel. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And do you mind just introducing yourself uh, and what you do for the pro-life cause? Well, thank you so much. It's a true honor to be able to join the program. And uh, I appreciate your passion for ministry to churches. And I'm glad that you had Samuel stay on to discuss that important topic. Uh, again, my name is Samuel Green. I'm president and general counsel of Reason for Life, and we do a lot of pro-life advocacy, but we're primarily focused on reaching churches and Christian schools and colleges with God's heart for children in the womb and laying out that biblical case for why we should cherish and defend unborn children. Uh, before founding Reason for Life, I had the honor of doing litigation in the pro-life space with Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a fantastic organization. And, um, and then shortly after founding Reason for Life, I was able to file one of the many amicus briefs in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case that overturned Roe versus Wade. So it was neat to be able to participate uh, on the legal side, but I definitely was looking around as I was doing this legal work and seeing that if we are ever truly to end abortion in America, as has been my goal, and prayer since I was about seven years old. If we're going to see that happen, we need a major cultural transformation. And then looking at the studies and then looking at my own experiences in the Christian world and talking to other friends at churches, I saw that there was a big issue within the church itself. And so I thought if we're gonna reach the culture at large and have that transformation, we certainly need to have the church on board. And there's a very compelling case to be made for the church. And so I'm you know, focusing on activating the church. And I'm glad that you share that passion as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you brought up the fact that there is a, a biblical case to be made for the fight for life. And there is an extraordinary reason for churches and Christians to get involved and to no longer be apathetic on this issue. So do you mind kind of breaking that down and explaining what is the biblical case for life and why should Christians and pastors care? 
It's a great question. And I think that there are a lot of pastors and churches that kind of view the abortion issue as one that's just political. And they say, we're not political, so we're not going to touch it. And I think it's important to remind them, yes, it may be in the political realm, but it is first and foremost a biblical issue. And and there is a way that being uh, committed to the gospel, you can bring that message. And in fact, it's important that you do so. It's, it's part of our great commission to go and make disciples, teaching people to do all that God commanded. So what does God command us regarding the treatment of unborn children? And to just sort of summarize it, I think you know, most Christians recognize that our value as human beings comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. We see that right at the beginning of Genesis, that God made us in his image. And it's that fact uh, that makes us so valuable. And and that's why murder is prohibited. And we actually also see in Genesis, the, the Bible talking about how if a man sheds another man's blood, uh, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, God created men. So we see that true unique value of human beings. We know that murder is prohibited by the Ten Commandments. Basically, every Christian agrees with these things. And so the only question we need to ask is, are children in the womb humans who are made in the image of God, valuable in his sight, and to whom the murder prohibition applies? That uh, if we were to abort a child, to kill the child in the womb, that we would be violating one of those Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not murder. And so to establish that children in the womb are fully human, uh, there's a few concrete passages that are among my favorites, although there's lots of great passages to choose from. But one of them comes in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, where it talks about Mary being told that she is going to conceive. And the Bible tells us that after hearing that news, she goes with haste to visit her relative Elizabeth, who at that time was pregnant with John the Baptist. And so we have a meeting of four people, two women and the two baby boys they're carrying inside them. And something amazing happens that tells us a lot about children in the womb. The Bible tells us there in Luke 1 that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that John the Baptist, quote, leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. So the Bible's telling us that this unborn child, this child who has not yet drawn his first breath, experiences the emotion of joy and leaps as a result of that emotion. And probably an emotion that he's experiencing because he recognizes that he's in the presence of his unborn savior, the one he would one day proclaim in the wilderness. And so I think that's just a remarkable passage because we have uh, the pro-abortion lobby trying to tell us that children in the womb are just a meaningless blob of cells. And I like to mm-hmm. ask people, does, does a meaningless blob of cells experience the emotion of joy and, and leap as a result? No, but children, if you observe children, you know, they leap for joy. John leaped in the, for joy in the womb because he was fully human even then. And the Bible also tells us in Luke chapter one, verse 15, that John was filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. So yeah. we see that God is looking at this unborn child and seeing him as worthy of receiving this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, which tells us very clearly that God values children in the womb. Interestingly, in this passage, we also see Jesus's divinity proclaimed, even as he's an unborn child, because Elizabeth refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord, even though Jesus was still in the womb. And uh, I think it's remarkable that Jesus begins 
his human experience when all of our human experiences begin in the womb. He, he didn't come as an infant or a toddler or a teenager. He came uh, right there in the womb and developed in the womb as all humans do. So that's one great passage. Uh, another one that's very concrete that I like to turn to is from the book of Judges. So some people may remember from their Sunday school classes, Samson, the really strong guy with long hair who killed a lion with his bare hands, and slew a thousand Philistines with a, with a bone and pushed down pillars, uh, making a building collapse. So Samson was a Nazarite, someone who is consecrated to God in a special way. And he had to observe certain special dietary restrictions and uh, he wasn't allowed to cut his hair, which is why he had the long hair. And what's interesting for our purposes is when it is that Samson became a Nazarite. And the Bible tells us that it was while he was an unborn child. Uh, in Judges, we read how the angel of the Lord comes to Samson's mother to tell her that she's going to conceive. And then he tells her, like, don't eat these things and don't drink these things because your son is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, in the, in the abortion movement, you hear the mantra, my body, my choice. Well, here you have a very clear passage that when a woman is pregnant with one child, God has seen two bodies. God didn't yeah. call Samson's mother to be a Nazarite, but he tells her, you need to observe the dietary rules of a Nazarite while you're pregnant because your son is to be a Nazarite from birth. And that mattered to God because Samson in the womb was the same person that he was outside the womb. There's nothing about birth that transformed who he was uh, in the eyes of God. And we also, therefore, should look at unborn children the same way. as just as valuable as those who are walking and talking and worthy of protection and love. And I could go on, but I think those two, one, those two passages in Luke and in Judges really give concrete examples showing the humanity and value of unborn children. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, if you really do read the Bible, it is clear as day that God grants humanity two babies right from conception in the womb. And those two stories are extremely powerful. Every Christmas, I love reading the nativity story because it, it really does show such amazing truth that Jesus came to this earth as a zygote. He came to this earth as a single cell embryo, and he was just as much the savior at that moment as he was when he was born or when he was on the cross. And so it, it's undeniable from a Christian perspective. But one of the new arguments that we are hearing is um, from the perspective of Judaism that uh, in Genesis, uh, it, it, in the creation story in Genesis, when it says that God breathed into Adam and that was when life begins, what do you say to arguments like that when they come up? Well, I'm no expert on uh, rabbinic law, but I, I have heard from other Jews that that's actually not even a proper interpretation of Judaism. But, you know, for the Christian, uh, you know, we can easily reject that. Obviously, when God was creating Adam, uh, that was a unique situation. He was creating him from dust right. in a way that no other human has been created. And so, you know, in my mind, you have you have this dust with no life in it until God breathes life into it. With the child developing the womb, the child is alive the whole time and is just in a process of growing. And if if we were to uh, accept the argument that life doesn't begin until you draw your first breath after birth. So did when God filled John the Baptist 
with the Holy Spirit. And when John leaped in the womb with joy, was he not even alive then? You know, that doesn't make any sense. If right. uh, Samson wasn't alive until he was born, why did his mother have to follow the dietary rules of the Nazarite while pregnant so that Samson could be a Nazarite to God from the womb? So it, it uh, just doesn't make sense at all. And it conflicts with very clear passages. And so I think that argument is, is easily rejected, but it is one that comes up. So it's good to know how to respond to it. Yeah, no, it definitely is one that comes up. And um, I think that if you, if you just have a plain reading of the text in Genesis, it's, it's very clear that this is an extraordinary event. This is literally the creation of mankind where God creates, he doesn't create an infant. He creates a grown man, uh, Adam, where he is an adult and, and Eve. So uh, women in today's world, I wasn't created from a literal rib of my husband, right? I, I had to go mm -hmm. through the, the, the process that every human does where we're, we're uh, formed in our mother's womb and then birth. And so it, it's very clear that it's an extraordinary instance in the Genesis story that will never be replicated again uh, here on earth as, as, as far as we know humanity. Um, and so just to kind of go back to what you do. So you make this biblical case for life and, and outline that God makes it clear that life begins at the moment of fertilization. And you present this to churches and Christian schools and colleges. What kind of response are you getting from pastors and parishioners and students? Are you getting positive responses? Um, are you getting more questions? What, what are you seeing out there when you present this? Well, thankfully, when I have the opportunity to go preach on Sunday mornings or speak at a youth group or share at a college chapel service, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And uh, one of the things that has actually stood out to me is I think that one of the things that makes a lot of pastors reluctant to talk about the issue, uh, in addition to it being in the political realm, is that they know that a lot of people in their churches have been affected by abortion in the past. There's women who have had abortions. There are men who have encouraged others to have abortions. And so it can be a very uh, sensitive topic. And pastors, understandably, are worried about, uh, you know, tearing off scars and, and causing pain. But I, I think that one of the reasons that we really should be preaching about this issue is the fact that people are suffering from an abortion in their past. And what an right. amazing opportunity it is for pastors to, as they're addressing this issue, remind people of the grace and forgiveness that we have in the Lord, that when Jesus died for our sins, it was for all of our sins, including the sin of an abortion, and that God wants to heal, he wants to restore. And so I think this can be a tremendous opportunity for pastors to help bring healing to those wounds and help their congregation find forgiveness and, and be able to go live out fully all the things that God has called them to do and not be held back by this past sin. And it also, by sharing the truth, helps others in the congregation avoid walking down that path of pain. And so when I've shared at churches, I've been pleasantly surprised that it seems that that message of grace and forgiveness that I try to bring is resonating. I've, I've been at a church where I had a Q&A time after the sermon where they were passing around a mic. And I actually had a, a woman say right there on the mic in front of everyone that she had an abortion in the past. And uh, I was kind of shocked that she would say that publicly, but glad that she felt that she could because she had just heard this message about God's grace and forgiveness. And I've had men and women come to me after I've preached and talk about their painful experience 
and and how they've been struggling with it and how this this reminder of God's grace and forgiveness has been helpful to them. And I've had others say, hey, I've been in the pro-life movement my whole life, but I wasn't aware of some of those passages from the Bible that you explained. And now this will help me present the case more. And others have said, I've been pro-life, but I haven't been doing anything about it. And now I feel stirred to action. Now I want to go volunteer at my pregnancy help center or things like that. So it's it's been encouraging to see all of those uh, positive reports from people about how this message is is changing hearts and minds. Yeah. And your point about the fact that, you know, when people actually hear about it, they respond positively. I think that uh, so many people, like you said, so many pastors are afraid to address the topic because they know it's a sensitive topic and they don't want to hurt their parishioners or offend. Um, but at the, at the same time, we know that the gospel is going to be offensive to those who are unbelievers, but it also is going to bring healing. And we know that when you share the truth with somebody that it brings freedom, the, the gospel message of forgiveness brings freedom to those who uh, are receptive to it. And it's something that we can rejoice in. But if you never tell them that, Hey, that yes, this is a sin, but by the grace of God, um, he, died for your sins so that you can be forgiven when you actually lay out the gospel message to them the full gospel uh that does include the preaching of sin there's forgiveness and joy and, and hope that you you can never come to without actually addressing it and so i i think that it's just so so important and we really have to get over our fear of man and and fear of offending others so that we can actually give people freedom right when you share the gospel uh you're you're sharing a message of true freedom with them that they won't be able to experience otherwise and so what kind of opportunities uh do you see for growth in in the church uh with this because like like i i said last time and um even today you know churches have really struggled with getting involved in this and with taking up the mantle of life and we know that um it's so important that they do but when they do what 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 kind of opportunities do you see there that are out there do you see that a lot of people are hungry in the church to actually get involved in this well, I think one of the the first opportunities and the most critical is for pastors to simply preach the truth, because unfortunately, many are not. And as a result, we see studies showing that significant portions of people who go to church regularly are turning to abortion themselves when they face an unwanted pregnancy. We also know that many in the church are voting in support of abortion. They're choosing laws that will result in the death of their unborn neighbors. And so pastors have a great responsibility as a shepherd of their flock to share the truth on this subject and really to show love to their unborn neighbors by proclaiming this truth and love to their congregations to, again, help people avoid walking down this path of sin and pain and suffering. And uh, so I just, that's one of my real passions is to see pastors preach that message because I think that if it's delivered, if we have that truth countering the culture's lies, that can bring about significant transformation. 
I was actually looking in this last election cycle last November, there were a lot of politicians who were explicitly targeting Christians with their pro-abortion messages. And it seemed that these pro-abortion politicians knew that the greatest threat to abortion is an activated church. And they are hoping to lull Christians into thinking that abortion is acceptable and to just remain complacent rather than rising up and speaking for the most vulnerable and needy. Uh, actually, our vice president said that no one needs to abandon their faith to support abortion. Um, my governor in California put up billboards in other states, and some of those billboards actually quoted the words of Jesus, saying, yeah. love your neighbor as yourself, uh, you know, complete with the biblical reference. <laughs> and it was just abhorrent to see this because it, it's basically you're only bringing a, a biblical passage to reach Christians. And the message of that was it's loving your neighbor as God commanded to support abortion when it's, when it's the exact opposite, because we know the child in the womb is our neighbor and is valuable to God. And abortion is the opposite of love. Jesus said that the greatest love is to lay down one's life for one's friends. But with abortion, we twist that. We do the exact opposite. Instead of laying down our life for the benefit of another, we lay down someone else's life for our own perceived benefit. And I know that that must grieve the Lord um, and make the devil rejoice because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's doing that through abortion. And so pastors, the loving thing to do is to preach to their congregations and, and at a very minimum, help their congregations not become complicit in killing children in the womb. And then I hope that in hearing about the value of children in the womb and the terrible things that are being done to them through abortion, churches, church members will also feel activated to go and show love in more tangible ways, to not only uh, refrain from, from killing their own children and supporting laws that kill children, but to, to go and, and volunteer at the pregnancy centers, to pray on the sidewalks outside of abortion centers and tell men and women who are walking into them that there is hope, that there's a better way that their children are valuable and uh, to, to get involved in any way possible to be a voice for the voiceless and show love as God has commanded us to do. Amen. Yes to all of that. And when you were talking about how the pro-abortion politicians specifically tried to use scripture against the pro-life argument, it just, it reminds me of what the devil does every single time. We see it in the garden. We see it when he was tempting Jesus is he tries to take the word of God and twist it to purposely deceive us into believing a lie. And that's exactly what the pro-abortion lobby has done from the very beginning is they've taken the truth and twisted it so that we can be deceived and believe a lie. And that's all that their entire movement is based on is they're, they're, following after their father, the devil, which is the um, author of lies. And, and so we really have to combat this with just sharing the truth unapologetically, sharing the truth in love. Um, but we, we have to stand firm on this and we can't mince our words on that, specifically pastors. And so you, you mentioned that a huge opportunity is getting pastors to first and foremost lead the way. So how do we go about doing that? How do we get pastors fired up about this and get them activated? Well, I think one of the key things is to help pastors see this as a biblical issue. You know, I think the pro-life movement, we're trying to reach everyone. And so uh, 
the pro-life movement at large has done a really good job establishing how you can make a pro-life case from science, from logic, and you can reach people who aren't Christians. And I think that's fantastic. But I think we need to remind the pastor, oh, but this is a Christian issue. This is a gospel issue. This is close to the heart of God. And so while it's in the political realm, um, that's not a reason to avoid it. You still have a responsibility to preach the full counsel of God's word. And the fact that it is such a deeply divisive issue in the political realm should be a great sign to you that your message is needed, that the preaching of the truth is needed here because so many are confused. And you don't want uh, the sheep in your flock to be led away to the slaughter, the literal slaughter of their own children, simply because they heard the culture's lies and they never heard the truth from you. And so to respectfully urge pastors to realize, A, there's a lot of confusion within the church and, and how tragic would it be if, if children in the congregation end up dying because their parents in the church didn't know the truth? And how terrible would it be if people end up suffering physical and spiritual and emotional harm because they chose abortion because they didn't know the truth? So the loving thing as a pastor is to share this truth. It's also a biblical mandate, you know, that we are to, as I said, teach people to do all that God commanded, that we are to speak for those being led away to the slaughter. And I, I think about Ezekiel 33, which talks about the watchman. And um, it uses a battle analogy, but it's, it's not talking about a physical battle. And it says, if the watchman sees basically the judgment coming and sounds the alarm and people ignore it, well, then, then they will die, uh, but, but the watchman will be held guilt-free. But if the watchman sees the judgment coming and refuses to blow the horn, the people will still die in their own sin, Ezekiel 33 says, but the watchman will be held to account. And, you know, people can debate who is the watchman, but I would definitely not want to be a pastor knowing that, that my whole congregation is about to make a decision about abortion, like they are in Ohio, where it looks like you're going to have a ballot measure there in November. And to think that, uh, that some of them may choose to be complicit in the sin of murder, you know, this yeah. terrible violation of God's laws because I never spoke the truth. So I think it's, a, it's, it's hugely important for pastors to recognize that responsibility. And it, it can be unpleasant, it can be difficult, but it's absolutely essential. You know, in the Bible, we have all these examples of brave men and women standing up and uh, doing what needs to be done to save lives and act consistent with God's words. We have the, the midwives in Egypt who broke the law at risk of their own lives to save the boys born to the Hebrews. We have uh, Queen Esther breaking the law at risk of her own life to go plead the case of her people. And pastors are not even being asked to break the law. They're not being asked to risk their own life. They're simply being asked to preach the truth in a country that affords them the freedom to do so and how critical it is that we do that. I think uh, one way in talking to pastors is, you know, they're very busy people and they may feel ill-equipped to talk about this issue. So Reason for Life has a written sample sermon that, that lays out biblical and scientific truths about the beautiful development of children in the womb and their value. So if you just go to reasonforlife.org and you go on the resources tab, you can download that. When you go talk to your pastor, you can say, hey, I just heard this message. I, I heard these biblical truths about the value of children in the womb with John the Baptist leaping for joy in the womb and being filled with the Holy Spirit and 
I think there's a lot of people in the church who don't know this, and I think it's really important. Here's a sample sermon. You can use it as a resource if it would be helpful to you. And uh, I also love going around the country and, and speaking at churches, preaching on Sunday mornings. So if that's something your pastor would be interested in, I'd be glad to try to make that happen. So those are some ways that you can try to activate your own church for life. Yeah. And everyone who is listening, please, if you're, if your pastor has not preached about the pro-life message or hasn't mes- uh, mentioned it in a while, please reach out to Samuel and get that um, pro-life sermon and see all of his resources and present it to your pastor. I think that as parishioners, one thing that we oftentimes don't even think about is just talking to our pastor about it. So I think that if we're holding our pastors accountable as well by going to them and expressing to them our desire to hear about this issue from a Christian perspective, I think that that will do a ton in this area to get pastors fired up about the issue. Just as a pastor is supposed to lead us in righteousness and is supposed to teach us the truth of the Bible, we're also supposed to hold our pastors accountable by telling them what we should be hearing. And so definitely go to your pastor in a respectful way and and bring those resources that Samuel has to his desk so that he can take a look at it and see what's available to him. So Samuel, after all of that, um, and seeing your background, that you have a background in legal work, as well as engaging with our churches, what do you see the future of the pro-life movement looking like? What do you think our next step should be? Well, we're definitely in a historic moment. We've now been outside of the shackles of Roe versus Wade for a year, and I praise the Lord for that. And, you know, for many of us, this that's the first time in our lives that we've been in this moment. And so there is an incredible amount of wonderful things that we can do to save unborn children, and we need to, to seize that moment. Um, and our opponents, you know, those who are are supporting abortion, they recognize the moment we're in as well. And they are working overtime to try to make sure that abortion is enshrined in law. We saw three states by ballot measure uh, adopt abortion as part of their state constitution last November. We see the effort happening in Ohio. Uh, It's expected in other states soon. And so we need to make sure that we are uh, opposing those efforts and also doing everything that we can to make sure that children are protected by law and that those who uh, might be inclined to have an abortion know that they can find love and support in their churches, in their pregnancy resource centers, that the resources are there for them. And so I think for people to step up to the plate on those fronts is critically important. I also think um, the, the way that people think about the abortion issue probably needs to change a bit from how they have. Um, You know, under Roe versus Weed, I think a lot of people didn't prioritize abortion, which I think was a mistake, but they didn't because they thought, hey, well, there's abortion regardless of who I vote for because Roe versus Wade said there's abortion. And so I'm I'm not going to care about that as much. And again, I think that was a mistake. But now without Roe versus Wade, it's very clear who we elect to the state legislature, who our governor is, who our attorney general is, who our member of Congress is, can all have a very direct and immediate effect on whether children live or die, on whether they are intentionally killed with the blessing of our laws or whether they're protected by the law. And so I think that really needs to be elevated in everyone's mind that here in America, we have the blessing of being 
our own government. And we need to make sure that we are exercising that in a way that honors God, that we're praying for the officials that we elect to do what is right, but that we're also being wise and making sure that we pick people who will stand up for the unborn. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you mentioned, the abortion lobby is trying to do that here in Ohio. Uh, just yesterday, they submitted their petitions to get an abortion ballot initi- a, a ballot initiative on the ballot this November. And what that ballot initiative would do is it would enshrine abortion with zero restrictions all the way until birth into Ohio's constitution. It would also go much further than that. If uh, anyone wants more information, it's right on our website. It's just ohiolife.org. I'll make sure to link it down below as well as I'll make sure to link all of your information down below as well. Samuel, Samuel, excuse me. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. And all of your information is just so important. And it's, it is such valuable work that we need more people out there doing. Um, So please continue uh, what you're doing and we'll be praying for you along the way. Do you mind telling everyone where they can find you and where they can uh, stay up to date on your work? Absolutely. Yeah, please visit uh, Reason for Life's website at reasonforlife.org. You can sign up for our mailing list there. Under the resources tab, you can find that sample sermon. And um, if you send us a note, I'd even be happy to send you an Ohio-specific sample sermon that we have prepared for Ohio pastors specifically that addresses this ballot measure. So um, thank you, Elizabeth. Keep up the great work. And uh, to all of you out there, let's keep praying and working to see uh, children protected and loved. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.